It is the final part of our DC 1 million main series coverage. Previously, the Justice League from the past have gone to the future. The Justice League from the future have gone to the past in the past. Solaris the Tyrant's son released a deadly virus through our man. And the virus made people sick and uh, a bit unhinged and, uh, you know, just did not good things and uh vandal savage in the past had ended up capturing the uh titans put them into red rocket suits blew up monty video the other suits were stopped but uh in order to stop the virus the justice legion from the future in the past had to build solaris the tyrant's son which was the very enemy that they were fighting in the future meanwhile in the future our Justice League from the past has been confused with Bizarro clones as they are attempting to do feats of great strength. Let's find out what happens in this conclusion. Oh, and also Vandal Fab, just so alive in the future. So, you ready, Devin? I'm ready. And I'm Luke. And we're... Multiversal Q. One million! Up first, we have Aquaman 1 Million, which was written by Dan Abnett and Annie Landing, with pencils by Tom Grindberg, inks by Bill Anderson, colors by Tom McCraw, and letters by Albert D. Guzman. Aquaman wakes up on Neptune talking to Pilot, who is a sentient internet fish. The fish talks about how Neptune is now a resort planet, and there is a giant coral coliseum for his challenges. He ends up meeting Tempest, who is one who is Aquaman 1 Million's chief aide, and unlike the Tempest in his age, this Tempest is a lady. She's a lady. Ooh, whoa, 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 a fishy lady. Uh, Aquaman goes to his challenge, but he is worried that he is going to seem like a fraud, but then he starts messing around with fish to be entertaining. He rides some space whales, but underwater, away from his eyes, something comes in. And Tempest senses that death is coming. Aquaman sees a massive water swell and follows it to find a weird kraken from Vecchior, which is unable to survive in this water environment, which is why it is currently attacking and destroying everything. And Pilot announces that, oh, they think all these Justice League people from the past are bizarros, and Tempest commands that the other space Atlanteans try and capture Aquaman. He tries to calm the Kraken down, but Tempest attacks, refusing to listen to reason. But Pilot shows that, oh no, he was actually doing the right thing and he's an evil. Aquaman, now having a moment to think, asks what Aquaman 1 million would do. And Pilot's like, oh yeah, he would just talk to the Reefs. And Aquaman pleads to the Reefs to help them broadcast an empathic wave of peace, which calms the Kraken down enough so that they're able to fly it into space and send it home with Aquaman realizing it was a scheme to discredit him. And then he gets a note about how he's now being summoned to Jupiter. Nice. Up next is Green Lantern 1 million, which was written by Ron Mars, with Brian Hitch, Paul Neary, and Andy Lanning on art, Rob Schwager on color and separations, and Chris Eliopoulos on the letters. Kyle Rayner, the Green Lantern, is in space, and he already knows that there are no Green Lanterns, in this time period, because when he traveled to the Legion of Superhero times in the 50th century, he knows 
that in that era the Green Lanterns were already dissolved and they were also already evil. His challenge is going to be on Starman's space station. Starman, we already learned, was secretly working with Solaris the Tyrant Sun at this time. And uh, it orbits what used to be Uranus, except that it got replaced with Solaris the Tyrant Sun. He gets to the spaceship where he is being tracked by dozens of cameras and goes into his challenge with billions of people watching him, and his opponent is the Mock Turtle, a solid light projection which is made to match his abilities. The race takes off and it is heated as they start traveling through the base and the different levels inside of it, but when he goes through the final goal, the Mac Turtle dissolves and he finds himself in darkness surrounded by monsters. He's able to quickly bubble them and leaves and tries to draw power from the core as his ring is starting to fail him. As he continues exploring through the base, he causes a slight system reboot and sees the messages that were sent between Solaris the Tyrant's son and Starman 1 million about betraying the League, and he tries to disguise himself before he accidentally runs into Solaris. But, like, it's a really shitty disguise. I was going to say, try is the key word there. It's like a palette-swapped Green Lantern costume. Yeah. Uh, Solaris ends up uh, finding him and tries to stop him, and Solaris roasts the hell out of him as he flies as he is sent down towards Mars, where a giant pair of hands raised from the sand to catch him and set him down safely on the ground. You know what, Luke? Maybe that that whole disguise is actually them just trying to do the first Red Arm meme. What? Oh, do you not know the Red Arm meme? No. Oh, it's C-3PO. Oh, hello there, Captain Solo. It's me, C-3PO. You might not have recognized me because of my Red Arm. Was that an actual meme, though? It is. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's like the biggest meme right now. That was an actual line from Force Awakens, but they're, they've they used it like on everything. Like, you'll have uh, the clip of uh, Obi-Wan saying, that's no moon, it's a space station, and then it's just the space station with the red arm. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, Obi-Wan. You might not have recognized me because of my red arm. <laughs> Okay. Someone's going to get a lot of Red Arm memes sent to him tonight. Uh, Okay. No, the main meme that I'm getting now is Babadook is gay. Oh, yeah. I've seen that thing. Yeah. But uh, we aren't talking about that. We're talking about Martian Manhunter 1 Million, which was written by John Ostrander with art by Tom Mandrick, letters by Ken Lopez, colors by Carla Fini, and color separations by Heroic Age. As the Green Lantern Kyle Rayner, Turtles down towards Earth, the omniscient narrator who catches him peers into his mind and we get a recap of the last issue. And he recalls Kyle Rayner as his friend and also recharges his rings. Which, actually, I didn't pick up on that as a clue of what was going on until now. Oh, yeah. That's some good, like, foreshadowing. That it is. Kyle Rayner, yeah. Kyle Rayner wakes up and sees that John is formed out of the sand on Mars and mentions that uh, in John, who's in the future's past, Kyle Rayner helped him out in a time after Kyle Rayner's present. He ends up uh, recalling the history of how he ended up traveling with humans to help them find new worlds, and eventually joined with some groups. He helped the Legion of Superheroes, and eventually vanished until he was needed to uh, resolve some issues with the Antares 7 robot, which terraformed 
all of the worlds in our solar system for a race called the Planetary System, who were recurring Martian Manhunter enemies at the time. Uh, they had reached our system, terraformed, and killed millions, and then Martian Manhunter realized that the aliens who did their destruction were fleeing from an enemy known as the Swarm, so he spent 10,000 years trying to reach them in space, and then another 20,000 years fighting them until they reached the Earth and had been weakened enough to be destroyed by Earth superheroes. And Martian Manhunter at this point was really tired and returned to Mars where he was a teacher and a speaker until Darkseid came and succeeded in turning Mars into a new apocalypse. Uh, Martian Manhunter fought Darkseid in the shadows until the final battle where he was able to send Darkseid into the source and Darkseid stopped and died. And John was given a wish for his sacrifice and he wished for a free restored Mars merged with the planet, and he has been there ever since. And now he's inside people. Yeah, he is. Uh, John shows that he has the Night Fragment with him, and it is ready for, and he is ready for it to be used, but he is also being sent back in time, but he is also going to send a message back in time for past John through Kyle's memories. And then he tells Kyle to get his ass the Jupiter. And we find the message that he sent back is, the future is worth fighting for, even with all of the pain. And that's when he reaches out to his next piece in his big ol' plan, the Resurrection Man. In Action Comics 1 Million, writer Mark, uh, we then go to Action Comics 1 Million, which was written by Mark Schultz with pencils by Ron Lim, inks by Jose Marzan Jr., Letters by Bill Oakley with Joe Rosas on the colors and Digital Chameleon on the separations. Superman ends up on Earth in the future where he meets Luther Luther, who is the descendant of the Luther line, and Gerada Olsen, who is the mayor of Metropolis and a descendant of Jimmy Olsen, who bears the Turtle Boy icon. You know that Turtle Boy, right, Devin? Nope. Turtle Boy is one of those weird transformations that Jimmy Olsen had on those Silver Age covers. Oh, okay. He was a giant boy. He was also a turtle. So Superman is able to sense the head net, but it's really only giving him a slight headache, and they explain what the head net is to him, and then bring him to the area Tesseract for the challenge of the perfect solids. The perfect solids being geometric robots that will adapt and learn as he fights them. And they call them androids, and it's like, those are not androids. They do not have human shapes. I would agree with that. I just looked at the picture of Turtle Boy. Oh yeah, I've seen that picture before. Mm -hmm. So Superman is able to take one of them down with no problem, and meanwhile in space, Solaris sends the rumor that the Justice Leaguers have been replaced by Bizarros, and then he flies to Earth, invisible, and like he's apparently dampening his like heat and stuff. But... I, I don't really buy that Solaris could block off all of his heat since he's a goddamn sun and nobody would notice that he was gone. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. So Superman goes to punch another Geometron, but Solaris ends up increasing the uh, strength behind Superman's punch where it ends up, like, launching it and it hits the uh, crowd and could have theoretically hurt people and the crowd is reacting. Superman realizes something is up. He wants to help, but the last two shapes are still attacking him. 
He tries to heat beam one of them, but Solaris deflects it, attacking the crowd again, and the crowd is getting angrier and angrier, so they charge after him. Knowing that the Geometroids would follow him if he tried to leave, he tricks the shapes into flying out of the boundaries of the arena, which ends up disabling them, allowing him to escape. The crowd with their powers follows after him, and, he and as he tries to deal with them, they insist on fighting him, and he's able to trick them, but they just keep on showing up until the Hawkmen show up and capture him, which gets the crowd to disperse. Superman argues for his innocence, and they note that he fought with concern for others, and they decide to send him to be verified but the one person who would know if he is actually Superman or not, within the Junkyard Tesseract, which is Platinum of the Metal Men. She reveals that the other Metal Men wore out, but since they know each other one enough, er, but since she recognizes him, this is enough proof for the Hawkman. He wants to... Superman wants to reach the Fortress of Solitude and, like, find a way to block out the headnet, so Platinum wraps around him and they head into Metropolis, where they turn off the headnet and that allows Superman to listen for the resonances of the Kryptonian technology and he flies to the Fortress of Solitude, leaving Platinum with the Hawkman. And it's weird how I know... They had to act like all of the current continuity was going to last forever. But it's funny that it's like, oh no, Doc Magnus is going to be a metal man forever. And if you look at his uh, Wikipedia page, it's not even mentioned. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. It's like a lot of characters have important continuity and then like unimportant stuff that happens in between those runs. Oh, exactly. Like, Animal Man's past really doesn't expand much between... The Grant Morrison run, and then the uh, Jeff Lemire run. Except for the uh, stuff in space. Yeah. Well, let's be real, it's just time for a good old-fashioned retcon every once in a while. Hyper-time! Hyper-time, Devin. Hyper-time. You're right. You're right. Up next is Adventures of Superman 1 Million, which was written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, with pencils by Will Rosado... Inks by Larry Malstead, letters by Albert D. Guzman, colors by Carla Fini, and separations by Digital Chameleon. Superman ends up in the Fortress of Solitude where he runs into the Resurrection Man. Superman, is, at this point, is tired of people threatening him, and when Resurrection Man asks him to prove who he is, Superman refuses to back down, and the two start to fight. Resurrection Man has the ability to kill himself a little bit, to change his current powers, and he's able to switch to Quantum Speed, which is enough to get Superman to stand down, and Resurrection Man reveals that Superman taught him how to do that trick. He reveals that he now has the control over his power uh, from the last thousand years, and he can kill himself for like a few seconds to get new power. The Superman Dynasty chose to make him the custodian of the Fortress of Solitude, and Superman is like, who even is the Resurrection Man? You ready to learn about the Resurrection Man, Devin? Tell me, Luke. So the Resurrection Man is Mitch Shelley, who was created by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning because they didn't think that Mr. Immortal from the Great Lakes Avengers was good enough. Boo. He is good enough. He's brought back to life via nanotechnology, and originally the way that he died would determine what powers he had when he came back to life, so if he burnt in a fire he'd have fire powers and he generally had a beef with the other long-lived immortal vandal savage and eventually when john vanished 
He became the tactical advisor to the Justice Legion. And now John is reaching back to them to warn about Solaris. Back on Mars, Solaris has reached out to Savage to show that Solaris is pretty confident in his plans. And back at the fortress, Resurrection Man calls in Justice Legion B, which are essentially the Teen Titans. There is Arsenal, who is a murder robot. There is Troy, who is a younger, awesome metal version of Wonder Woman. There is Nightwing, who is a bat humanoid. And there is Aqualad, who is a lad who is literally made out of water. And as they are waiting for the last member of their team, Johto, the teleporter fails, killing Johto. And Arsenal is reprogrammed into a smaller version of Solaris, which is also able to activate the security in the base. Superman runs off while they fight the security droids and reaches the CPU, which he is able to override with a secret voice command, which returns the systems to Kryptonian settings. And Arsenal returns to his original form, except he's pretty much horribly mangled. Yeah. With Solaris stopped in the and with Solaris stopped in the base, Resurrection Man gives a boom suit to Superman to send him to Crip, uh, to send him to Jupiter. Well, Resurrection Man plans to head to Mars. And I got questions about this one because it's like, oh yeah, Solaris, the tyrant's son who has the power of like twenty million computers, it never learned Kryptonian. So does that mean that like Superman made sure that other people could never learn Kryptonian? I feel like that's pretty much what happened. Or just he's... With like his little secret back channels. Because I feel... Yeah. Well, and I feel like Solaris being so tied to the Superman dynasties would be like an... Would have made sure that he would know that language. Maybe he has like a decoder ring or something. Uh, you know. Maybe... Up next is Man of Tomorrow, One Million, which was written by Mark Schultz, with pencils, with pencils by George Gianti, inks by Dennis Roeder and Dennis Jenke, letters by John Costanza, and colors and separations by Rob Schwager. And Superman is trying to use the boom suit, but the teleporter that he's supposed to be using is blocked, and it's only blocking specifically Superman. And Superman's like, "Oh, this is probably Solaris, that asshole." So Superman finds out that the Bizarro Hysteria has died down, so he leaves and asks for Hawkman to meet up with him. They go back to Metropolis and meet with Mayor Olsen and Luther Luther, and try and plug him into the headnet. And when he tries to explore the archives of the Super Family, it ends up being too much for him, so he returns to the junkyard to uh, learn about history from Platinum. And Mayor Olsen is like, oh, I'm going to live stream this and get 500 Twitter followers. Solaris ends up fight. Uh, we find out that Superman continued to fight Solaris a few times, but eventually he just got really, really tired and left the planet because everybody he knew had died by the end of the 21st century. And so he flew into space, and by that time there was a second Superman around, and Solaris and the Supermans kept fighting again and again and again and not a lot of super important stuff happened like there was super cancer and there was like the superman dynasty kept on growing and bringing more people into it and over time uh and in that 505th century that superman was able to sacrifice himself to reprogram solaris but he ended up dying as a result 
and over time, Solaris became a member of the Justice League, and, like, the leader would always be Superman, who was always this altruistic hero. Solaris, meanwhile, was more problematic. He was willing to destroy other worlds, like when he formed the Pan-Cosmic Justice Jihad. And in the 700th century, when the original Superman returned, it caused this religious and philosophical revival. Uh, Superman Prime ended up fighting the current Superman and then went into the heart of the sun until he was set to return. And the world was less willing to put up with Solaris destroying other planets, and so the pan-cosmic justice jihad got disbanded and was replaced with the academy of prescient justice which tried to stop future crimes but was never really taken seriously and at this point humans were reaching a new level of potential where they no longer needed computers for like super advanced uh like math and stuff and so he was stuck mostly working as a power source meanwhile the house of superman kept winning by being more noble and careless caring and selfless and Solaris gets really pissed off at this part of the uh recap and he shows up to telepathically interrupt and he's like your legacy messed with my efforts and Superman's like nah you are a chicken you should let me fight you by coming into space and Solaris ends up deactivating the teleportation block and with some more help from Platinum Superman is able to teleport to Jupiter Mayor Olson then reveals that uh, Platinum storytelling was a big hit, and now she has value, so she probably doesn't need to live in the junkyard anymore. Hooray! Look at them moving on up. Hooray for sexy robot lady. Up next is Resurrection Man 1 Million, which was also written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, which makes sense because they created the character. With art by Butch Guis, colors by Carlatini, letters by Ken Lopez. And Resurrection Man is now on Mars, where he starts destroying Vandal Savage's machines. And Savage is like, oh, okay, yeah, no, you can stop doing that. I see you there. Get the Chateau Latif Rothschild. And uh, I was doing some more research. It's like $9,000 for a 750-milliliter bottle of that stuff. Dang, yo. Like a new bottle, yeah. And apparently the Chinese market of Nouveau Riche People are driving up the price even more. That's dumb, because you could just go get some, like, five-buck chuck. Oh, or yeah. Or boxed wine. Oh, Luke, you and your boxed wine. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what I got today? What? A big old bottle of coconut rum. Nice. Mm-hmm. And... Solaris the Tyrant Son also shows up demanding the Night Fragment, which is supposedly the last piece of kryptonite in the universe. Savage then sends a Omnicron knife suit to attack while Justice Legion B tries to get in, only to be blocked by a solid dust wall. Luckily, Aqualad is able to get past the wall by turning into water and sort of rolling through the storm. But they get attacked by more machines and then a strange orb appears, knocking them out. Meanwhile, backfighting the suit, Resurrection Man uh, recalls some of the fights that they've had in the past, where they've kept on losing things time and time again. And Resurrection Man, having fought this type of knife suit before, uses his uh, nanobots to disable the machine on an uh, uses his nanobots to disable the machine on an atomic level, which Vandal Savage was expecting, 
and it gave him a sample of the nanobots, which he programs his dissemblers to fight, which causes Resurrection Man to dissolve. Meanwhile, the Justice Legion B was caught inside of a time loop where they are never supposed to escape. As Savage prepares to behead the Resurrection Man, Resurrection Man teleports away, leaving behind the nanobots and also taking off Vandal Savage's hand and like his super old ass sword. Resurrection Man is ready to continue to fight, except that Vandal Savage reveals that he has messed with the Resurrector device, which has weakened him enough that Resurrection Man is just going to keep infinitely dying for eternity. The last story that we... or the last part of the main DC 1 Million series is DC 1 Million, number 4. Written by Grant Morrison, with pencils by Val Semeckis, inks by Prentice Rollins, letters by Ken Lopez, with Pat Gary on colors, and Heroic Age on the separations. Back in the past, Superman 1 Million is trying to punch through time, but with his limited power, it is draining him, and he is getting older as a result. In the future, all of the Justice Legions are attacking, but the losses are imminent. But the losses are immense, and Solaris is launching his attack on Earth. On Jupiter, the Justice League is meeting, and they have worked out who is behind things, and they hook up to a super telepathic computer called the Strategy Engine. Flash also notes that Solaris has no historical references to meeting the Green Lantern or dealing with them in the past. On Mars, Savage teleports the Night Fragment to Solaris's core before teleporting away to watch his victory, using time gauntlets that he stole from Resurrection Man. Martian Manhunter, meanwhile, meets with John and reveals that their secret weapon... Wait. No. Martian Manhunter meets with, uh... No. Nope. With Resurrection... Martian Manhunter meets with Resurrection Man and reveals that their secret weapon is still ready. He, uh, goes into the headnet for contacting. Meanwhile, Kyle Rayner, the Green Lantern, is heading in to open a... Meanwhile, Kyle Rayner of the Green Lantern is heading in to open a black hole inside Solaris, and John lets him know that he also needs to retrieve some DNA from inside the Tyrant Sun. But the change in plans will be difficult. A Batman reaches out and says that they need to act before Solaris is prepared to fight Green Lantern, and before then, they're going to need to make Solaris go supernova. Kyle gets to where the DNA is supposed to be, but he's unsure if he's able to uh, start up the supernova. Meanwhile, in the past, Superman 1 million has punched through enough time to open the wormhole, and when he returns to his own age, he is restored by the future energy. Kyle sets off the bomb and puts Solaris in a giant safe, but as he explodes, Solaris shoots out the night fragment towards the sun where Superman 1 million, where Superman Prime is. Superman 1 will... Superman 1 million works to help Kyle contain the blast, but they're going to need Superman but they're going to need Superman Prime from the past to stop the bullet to stop the death of his future self. As Superman races to try and catch it, he realizes that the bullet is not actually kryptonite and it hits the sun turning it green and the universe goes into panic mode. John reveals that he didn't send kryptonite into the sun, it was actually the Green Lantern power battery as the Green Lantern symbol appears on the sun, for a giant energy construct hand reaches out and crushes Solaris. Superman Prime leaves the sun, now turned into a golden being, and on the fourth day, we see the Superman of the fifth dimension 
has used the DNA that was stored in Solaris and has used it to build uh, and has used it to rebuild Lois Lane as a sort of silver being to go along with Superman 1 million. Our man is able to send Superman and Lois to meet Superman's parents in the past, and then they go back to the future to live happily ever after. And Kyle tries to recall what happened, and when Martian Manhunter is trying to help, he ends up receiving the message from his future self. The Justice League meets back up again in the past, as friends and families are rejoined, as plots for future stories are set up, and as John and Superman meet to talk about living forever. In Gotham, Huntress talks about how it was great that she gave him the idea for planning ahead, and Batman finally answers why he invited her to the team, because he likes watching her change as a person. Oracle, meanwhile, resumes her job watching over the world, and Vandal Savage, from the uh, One Million area, has come back in the past, planning to take it over, and he finds himself in Monte Video as the first Rocket Red suit prepares to come down, and he gets a message from Kronos congratulating him on being conned. And that's the end of uh, the main DC One Million. Yay! But we still have two more additional issues Plus an entire before we get into episode. our complete backlog episode, which, yeah, the excess stuff. The first we have is Hitman 1 Million, which was written by Garth Ennis, with art by John McRae, letters by Pat Prentice, colors by Carla Feeney, and separations by Heroic Age. Gwent and his friends Twevor, Nigel, and Gooch are all inside the Chronix Corporation, Time Displacement Lab, which Gwant's dad owns. Because of the recent time problems, this is being said after DC 1 million, it is all very carefully controlled, but they plan to become superheroes. They end up targeting Gotham City inside Noonan's bar and end up pulling Tommy Monahan into the future, where he immediately starts vomiting. Gwent has this very inaccurate idea of Hitman as this, like, swashbuckling hero fighting the minions of the Bat, and the police are these Judge Dredd-style cops with his girlfriend Natalie at his side, who's been reduced to this sexual object. And he's very concerned about where Tommy's superhero costume is, and Tommy ends up pulling a gun on him and demands to know what is going on. Uh, you're not familiar with Hitman, correct? Okay, you're at the point where you could probably use to refresh. <laughs> I'm back, baby. And no, I have no idea who Hitman is. Other than that video game character. Is it that Hitman? Luke? No. Uh, Hitman is Tommy Monaghan. There was a event called Bloodlines, which was sort of the inspiration for the crossover that happened on the uh, CW DC shows. But a bunch of people okay. ended up getting superpowers, and Hitman was really the only person who stayed around. He has the power to like see through walls, if I believe it, if I remember correctly. But he really doesn't like using them because it gives him a big headache. So otherwise, he is a mercenary, and it's just a very undc book, and it's 
a very strong character piece. Like, if you like Garth Ennis stuff, you'd like the series. But okay. it's very much, he is not a superhero. Yes. And while Tommy is trying to get information, a future cat comes in and pisses on him. And Tommy learns that because cats normally died so much, they've made them into unkillable beings. And so Tommy punts it out the window of the 20,000th floor. Back under the gun, Gwent explains about Icon Energy and how he wants an artifact from the past to get the powers of the original owner. And they want to siphon powers from Tommy. That's when a hero named Gunfire flies in for retribution for Tommy because he kicked the cat out the window. His power is that anything he touches becomes a gun, and Tommy just shoots him in the leg. Gunfire tries to use a med pack to heal himself, but he ends up shooting himself with it. And as he clutches his body in pain, he turns his ass to a hand grenade, which kills himself. <laughs> a uh, group of heroes called Overforce come in. Uh, but they are quickly followed by a group called the Over Patrol, and it turns out that the Over Patrol is actually the League of Schweinhuns, and they keep revealing more and more secrets, and so Hitman ends up having to kill all of them. Grant really wants his powers at this point, and he... Tommy just wants Grant to send him home, but Grant still demands his icon, so Hitman uh, shoots at him, uh, shoots at him and his friends, and explains, I ain't a hero. I'm just this guy shoots creeps for a living and blows the money on booze and gambling. And he explains that he doesn't want a legacy to be remembered. And he's pretty sure that he's going to die in some dirt bag way, way too soon and demands that they send it back, which they acquiesce to. And so two days later, they decide to try and summon another hero, the demon Etrigan, who ends up killing everyone except for the cat. Because the cat cannot die. Wonderful. Yeah, uh, Etrigan was another series written by Garth Ennis and with art by John McRae that came out before and then simultaneously to Hitman, which was also really good, though not as like consistently strong as Hitman. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think it was like the first year I was out of college, I was just really into reading all of uh, their work. Mm -hmm. That's fair. He's good. <sighs> I'm getting winded. Up next, and finally for this episode, is the Legion of Superheroes 1 Million, which was written by Tom Pyre, with pencils by Keith Giffen, inks by Al Gordon, colors by Tom McCraw, and letters by Comicraft. Some future humanoids are looking at the picture of the Legionnaires, <laughs> and they decide to keep this their secret. At dinner, one of the uh, future humanoids, Dav is being quiet about where he was and he goes to his room where he starts to draw the legionnaires his father sees this and hits him for it and the next day when dav and his friends go to look at the picture dav with a black eye tries to destroy the picture but it bursts into the sentient fire of wild flame keeper of the history of the legion of superheroes and it flashes back to 85 271 the united planets try to return to earth to bring diversity as a whole expansion contraction thing. And when we last left the Legion, Umbra, Implicate Girl, the Monelves, Cosmic Bot, Chameleon, Brainiac 417, and Titan Girl had ended up fighting the Magnet Eaters, which were threatening the physical bonds between the United Planets. Umbra left to find if Umbra left to find out if Chameleon's people were behind the attack, 
while the others summoned Superboy from the 843rd century, who has the superpower of telekinesis to hold the planets together. But the stress that he is under is starting to injure him. Suddenly, the dreamer's dream screen. Suddenly, the dreamer's dream Suddenly, the dreamer's dream screen goes blank, hinting that there may be nothing more in the future. Meanwhile, Implicate Girl goes to chase after Chameleon. As the beasts return, they are being held off by the Mon Elves this time. While on Chameleon World, Umbra is fighting the Chameleon people, and Chameleon comes in to save him, but Umbra isn't happy because he thinks that Chameleon's people are the uh, Magnet Eaters. Because they're very secretive, and they have the power to transform. As they continue fighting, the Metal Eaters end up hurting Brainiac, which should be impossible since he has no physical form and they realize something is up. Chameleon and Umbra, meanwhile, into Titan, and they reveal that Titan, which is supposed to be this, uh, like, nursing home planet, uh, is trying to leave the United Planets, uh, system. Titan Girl attacks in both locations, and Chameleon points out how weird it was that she ended up not helping against the Magnet Eaters. Implicate Girl shows up and starts fighting, and she reveals that Titan's planets destroyed and she reveals that Titan Girl's people decided to screw over the rest of the planets because they live in this fantasy world and they value their dreams so much and keeping the truth that their fantasy is only a fantasy hidden. And they'd be willing to sacrifice the other planets to hide this truth. Brainiac, meanwhile, meet... Brainiac, meanwhile reaches out, hoping to make amends to uh, some of the other... Wait, shoot. Uh, Brainiac, meanwhile, reaches out to Titan, which has been left to drift away to try and make amends as the planet is set adrift and the United Planets officially end. And back in the future, Dav's father ends up finding the boys since they had been missing for a day, and Dav wants to see the rest of space and to, like, live outside the Tesseracts, but human society has ended up condensing so that they never even leave to go onto the actual planet Earth. And they're just living in this very boring reality. And Dav argues that living isn't supposed to be normal. It's supposed to be extraordinary. You're supposed to have all sorts of aliens and weird stuff going on. And they just aren't prepared for this. Uh, the future humanoids. Later, Wildfire... Later, Wildflame reaches out to Dav and he recognizes her as Titan Girl. Sort of the perfect image of her. And she gives him this image of a greater future where Dav and his friends can become heroes once more. Which, it's, like, a good idea overall. I just think the execution was a bit sloppy. Yeah, I'd agree with that. <sighs> but, uh, yeah, that's DC 1 million for you. Except for the stuff that we're covering next week. So, uh, yeah. We will cover that next week, but as far as the original stuff, how do you feel about it? I liked it. Better than, it was a cool idea. Better than Secret Wars? No. <laughs> More consistent than Secret Wars? For like the extra tie-in issues, yes. Yeah. I like the main story arc of Secret Wars better. Yeah, like that was something that had long-lasting consequences, and this one didn't really yeah 
I mean, there's still long-lasting consequences for Secret mm-hmm. Wars. But that's actually one of the... It's the main story arc right now for Jessica Jones. Really? She's investigating into the fact that Secret Wars happened and a few of the top-tier superhuman beings know it and no one else does. Hmm. Well, let's not talk about more... Let's not talk about more of that for now. I am tired because we just recorded three and four, one after another. But, uh, yeah, I'm glad you were able to experience this with me. I'm looking forward to wrapping up with part five next, well, in two weeks. Next week we're going to be covering our Heroes Con sketchbook. Devin and I are going to be in the same room again. Yeah, yo. And then we're going to be covering our finale of DC One Million which will be the DC 1 million 80-page giant, Batman, Superman, uh, issues 79 through 80, and Booster Gold 1 million. So look forward to that. Uh, Multiverse Q is a weekly podcast where we talk about alternate universes. If you haven't listened to it for whatever reason, listen to the uh, crossover that we did with uh, Thor, the... uh, with the Thor podcast, whose title I am forgetting. I am just very tired. It has been a long weekend. Uh, with Thor, the it's, Lightning um, and the Storm. The Thunder and Lightning, I think? The Lightning and the Storm. Yeah, Lightning and the Storm. Because I think that was a very good episode, and... Uh, yeah. yeah, it was good. Uh, we should also be starting a new volume of Exiled soon, though they're sort of flowing a bit differently now. But you can find out that at exiledpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter, rank us on iTunes, send us questions. We have email, and I'm usually very quick about responding to that. And thank you to whoever came and saw me at HeroesCon, assuming that hopefully somebody did. Uh, Devin, where can people find you online? You can find me online at Fred O'Fett, that's F-R-E-D-D-O-F-E-T-T. And Luke, where can people find you? You can find me online at at Coltreg, that's K-O-L-T-R-E-G. Or at LukeHair.com, my portfolio is up that I need to really get around to updating. Until next week, this one's for Hank. One million.